another episode today of primal athletics radio i've uh, been trying to pump them out recently with this week being away from the gym um, giving a little more content than normal so fun for us fun for you guys and we're glad you're listening today we got a buddy on the show uh, levi daniels friend of mine um, crossfitter former affiliate owner um, former military now he's at school for physical therapy so got quite the pedigree of things to talk about today and we're just going to kind of you know dig in pick apart uh, some parts of his past if he's up Jack for of it. all trades, huh? Yeah. yeah. Master of none. <laughs> Master uh, of none. That's what I like to keep it. Yeah. All right. Let's, you uh, yeah, ahead. let's just, let's just uh, I guess, start from the beginning. Let's hear all about you, Levi. Where'd you, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? Well, I grew up in Texas, but from there, I went all over. I moved to Colorado pretty young, 16 or 17, and then uh, joined the military in 2003, uh, shot straight to the special operations branch of the military. Uh, it, it's in the Marines. So I went to, I was what you call them, a recon baby. So I didn't have any time in the regular fleet. I just went to the, the pipeline for special operations. And then from there, I deployed quite a few times. I went to Mindanao. I went to Iraq twice and Afghanistan and um, did that whole fun journey. And then I got out in 2009. Um, I started crossfitting in, what was that, 2005 or so? So you were in the military and, uh, when you started crossfitting? What's that? You were in the military when you found crossfit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, the special operations units kind of picked up on that pretty early. Um, and they ran with it. And then, I mean, back then it was a real primitive version of it. And it just escalated from there. Bro reps so, on. Yeah, and then um, well, yeah, it was it was it was uh, it's evolved very quickly from where it began. Um, so then, yeah, I started doing that. Two thousand five, never looked back. I've been doing it ever since. I got out two thousand nine. Um, I had my level one two thousand eight or so. Got that in two thousand eight, um, and then after I got out, moved to Hawaii. Uh, a couple years after that, I worked out a few gyms. Um, and then I started my own gym on the North shore of Hawaii, which is like the Mecca of surfing, um, over there. So that's in Mecca of surfing is a huge jujitsu community. So there's a lot of MMA guys, a lot of UFC fighters out there on the North shore. That's where BJ Penn has his gym, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's on the big Island, but it's oh, okay. pretty dominant over there. Everyone, everyone in the mother does jujitsu over there. Mm. Was there a, a CrossFit yeah. community like already kind of um, established? Uh, uh, Hawaii is, was kind of slow to the curve. Um, and in fact, I was the first gym on the North Shore. So that's kind of part of the reason why I decided to capitalize on creating one over there. Um, and and that along that same vein, though, as, as far as creating a, a gym over there, you have to pioneer kind of the, the uh, appeal towards what what it is too so there's it comes with its own set of difficulties 
Right. Um, but the community was rather embracing of it. Also, once you, once it caught fire, then it was it was an easy. Um, it was pretty infectious for everybody to to grab hold of. Cool, man. What what did you get up to for uh, for members? Were you like a bigger gym at one point? Or? Uh, no, well, it's a. I mean that that was a. a it's a small. The North Shore, particularly out of all of Oahu, is a smaller community. Um, so I was. I'd hover around 120, 130 members. So it wasn't, it wasn't too big. wasn't, wasn't tiny either. Right. Um, I went through quite a bit of transitioning with that too. I was partnered. I had a, I had a, I had a partner at, at the beginning and then we parted ways. And then I partnered up with, uh, there's a, I don't know if you guys know who Brian McKenzie is. Uh, yeah. The running before. Yeah. yeah Physical was, therapy. Yeah. Yeah, he's not physical. I think you're thinking of Coach Tourette, but he's he is part of CrossFit San Francisco. He's one of the coaches there. But yeah, he's oh, he's, he's a a of CrossFit oh. endurance. He's he's uh, he has power speed endurance the book. Um, so then I partnered up with him, and uh, we created a program tailored towards I mean that dominant surfing community out there, and then we were helping a lot of the pro surfers do their thing. Uh, we actually had Wim Hof come out there, and um, oh no way. Yeah, and he was he was re- working with us and the surfers to create a program specifically tailored for them. Um, and then from that, it branched out with uh, Laird Hamilton. Uh, so Laird Hamilton is a huge, big wave surfer. I don't know if mm. you guys are familiar with him at all. Yeah, definitely. They, he, they created an even more uh, specific breathing program that shot off of Wim Hof um, called XBT. It's available now. It's actually a pretty big, good program, too. It has different types of breathing rather than just limiting it to Wim Hof style. Um, so we kind of had our fingers in all sorts of different th- things over there, uh, anything to improve human performance. So we were we were a bit Do of... Do you have anybody uh, like take the competitive side of CrossFit or, or maybe you personally? Did you guys ever get into like, um, you know, like regional competition? Yeah, yeah, we uh, we had quite a for such a small gym, we had a pretty good competitive element there. Um, along that, the Progenics team, I, a lot of those guys are pretty well known. They would come out and train with our gym every winter for about a month. So that whole crew, those some of those animals out there would come over and hit it hard at our gym and take their winter vacation at at the North Shore, which is it was an easy sell because we're in paradise, so it wasn't just yeah. like. Uh, <laughs> They get to go out there and hang it out with all the cool guy surfers and everything else, and then they they get to hang out. And we, I mean, our gym had a very good um, back. Like it was it was right in the mid- middle of the mountains. Our the view right outside was just pristine, like beautiful mountains. And then they would go off when they weren't training, which they'd be over there training quite a bit. They'd go off, and the, our our uh, the pro surfers and the Volcom team and the and the, the Volcom house would go over there. And, Escorting around to different surfing spots, and very cool. They have these big gorillas and lugs over there hitting the waves and getting demolished. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you uh, mentioning at some point you had some uh, Olympic weightlifters. Yeah, and they went on to set a couple records in in Hawaii. That yeah, yeah. So we had yeah, we had uh, a few Olympic weightlifters out there that they uh, they have state records in Hawaii. Um, so we had Chase Tantog, and then we had actually a sister, Amber Tantog. They went on 
to do really well with it in a very short time. And that was, we first introduced Olympic weightlifting to them. They were about 18 and 17 and 18. And then they went on a year and a half or two years later to set records with it. Wow. So that was a big part of our gym. We had, I was that, that pretty near and dear to my heart with the Olympic weightlifting because I think it proved so invaluable towards, towards, uh, improving athletic performance in general. So sure. was that something that you were pitching to like the surfers and the MMA guys that maybe weren't, um, you know, because not so much just because the learning curve for Olympic weightlifting is so high that as far as for them, as they're being sport specific, they're not going to get as much benefit as it, as they would if they were, because their job is to surf. I would teach them a weight, Olympic weightlifting for sure, but I wouldn't encourage them to do competitively because that would that would take away from their ability to surf. Gotcha. Um, so I would I would I mean as as far as any good gym should be, it should be like it was a very technique focused gym. So I would teach them the fundamentals of it and pound that in hard. And then I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like pressing on the big heavy weights for the surfing guys. And, uh, Do you feel like, or did they feel like learning the technicalities of it helped them surfing though? And from like a proprioception oh, yeah, kind of standpoint, yeah. um, for sure. That I mean that, not there was unanimously once they learned it, then they would, they, um, they were sold on the, just how beneficial it was, and they said they're. Their ability to surf just increased dramatically, exponentially. They felt like more limber, popping up on the board. They were, yeah. Their, I mean, their flexibility was improved. Their explosiveness, their aerobic capacity was all was all uh, improved by their ability to to hold on to that. I believe it. Yeah, I mean, the coordination of manipulating themselves and manipulating the the heavy weights around the center of gravity. I mean, that's all. All ties in together. It's all transferable. All right. Yeah. Building a more complete human with that stuff. Yeah. Um, at what point did you, I believe from there you went to Japan. Was that the next stop? Yeah. So at, at a certain point I was, I decided just to sell the gym and um, I had it running remotely from Japan for a while, but I, I moved to Japan Um and then I just took a completely different avenue for my approach. Anyway, I, I just I just decided to um, spearfish for a living for a few years. Why not? So. Yeah. What was the <laughs> impetus? What what? Uh, it sounded like you have a not not that you need to stick to something all the time, but you had a pretty good you know little thing going there. What was pulling you to Japan to a new career um, or pushing um, maybe? Well, I had I had. A, become obsessed with spearfishing years before I would spend up all my waking moments in the ocean. And then I love Japan. So I decided my, my, my ex-wife is Japanese. Um, so she was keen on moving back there and I love the place as well. I actually went to university in Northern Japan and got a Japanese translator's license over there. So I could, I could, uh, manage living there as well. And I, I'd lo I love the, uh, the ocean, and so I decided, why not? Um, and then being able to spearfish constantly all day, every day, was, was quite an appeal, too. So then did that, and then I just um, didn't look back. 
still uh were you crossfitting at the time like uh, the- there wasn't so much time for that <laughs> yeah I here and there but i was i was free diving all the time just like were there boxes out there what's that were there boxes in japan crossfit boxes they're few and far between this was in okinawa there's i think there's a little bit more in uh in the mainland mm-hmm. okinawa is the southernmost island but there okay. there was some about maybe 45 minutes away from me okay um but really, at that point, I would get in the ocean usually around 10 or 11 and then get out of the ocean probably about 5 or 6. Wow. So by the time I was – and that's just straight swimming around. I mean, you're not – when you're ever you're spearfishing, you are just um, – most of the time, you're just leisurely fending along trying to conserve your energy and keep your heart rate down. And um, Now, are you like – are you on top of the water kind of snorkeling, waiting for your Yeah, boat? you're snorkeling. Okay. You're, you're checking out spots that look intriguing. Or whatever, if you if you could spot good fish from the top, which isn't so often. Usually, you just go s- scooting on down to the bottom, and then it, you find a good spot where you think they might approach from. And then once you once you settle down on the bottom, then the fish start coming out the woodwork. So, the good thing about that is that with free diving, it's like it's constant meditation. Mm. Um, you've got to keep yourself calm. It doesn't matter how 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 good your aerobic capacity is or how i mean how how much conditioning you have as soon as and this you'll see this and as far as if you have someone do some static apnea on land they perhaps might have a six seven minute breath hold on land but as soon as you get them in the water all the variables that could sway that you they can go under the water for 30 seconds and then they'll be their lungs will be burning for air just because their heart rate rises the carbon dioxide starts increasing and then all of a sudden, bam, they don't have a breath hold anymore. So this, there's no getting around the fact of keeping yourself calm, which is directly applicable towards keeping yourself calm and any other type of physical endeavor, which is a game changer for whatever you're trying to do. Would you say that's something that you like started developing in, uh, when you were in special operations? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What was your, you were a diver beforehand in the Marines? I was a di- I, no. I was a diver. I, they taught me diving. Okay. I mean, I had swam avidly when I was uh, growing up. I mean, I don't even remember learning to swim. My dad just threw us in the water when we were um, so small. I can't remember, and it was a sink or swim type scenario. But when I got into the special operations pipeline, we were going through. They would call it innocently enough. It sounds they would call it water aerobics. Um, <laughs> it is not. Doesn't sound like it is. It is absolute hell. Put cinder blocks on you and send you down to the bottom. Well, they would, they would literally drown you and bring you back up. Like drowning was a respite because they would, they would drown you. You'd pass it underwater. They'd bring you up on top of the land, and it would be a, it would be a rest for you because you get ten minutes of O2, and then (laughs) once you kind of gain your senses again, they throw you back in the water. They had. They what like part of the water aerobics is they would do crossovers where you well you you'd crawl stroke across and then you do underwater completely underwater for as soon as you get across they go back under go back underwater and you do have to stay underwater but in the meantime they have what they call sharks patrolling for people panicking and then um, trying to come up for air early and if you didn't want to be the dude that came up for air early because those sharks would hop on you like a wounded fish. <laughs> and they would take you down and 
I'd seen grown men shamelessly bawling their eyes out on the side of the pool. Wow. Um, just wailing and tears running down their face like babies. So, yeah, that that had a lot to do with um, my ability to stay calm and under without you. Take, you can be an animal on land, but take away oxygen and it'll turn it'll turn giants into babies. It's it's wild how uh, like how adaptable the human species is. Yeah. Like you were you were born a land creature and then you like, you know, right. gained this proficiency. So, uh, yeah. And I went in there with a false sense of confidence because I have been swimming my whole life. But I realized just how pissed poor I was at, and and when it came down to the water, and I had to completely kind of reconstruct myself as far as my efficiency as a swimmer, because I could swim, yeah, I could survive, I wouldn't drown probably, but when you when you at the when I started out, I was probably near the low the slower group of people, in as far as uh, being a swimmer. Because they had collegiate level swimmers, and they would just—it would just—they could be the slowest person on the land, but their ability to be efficient in the water, because water is a thousand times more dense than um, than air. It doesn't matter how strong or how beastly you are on land. If you're not efficient in the water, you will—yeah, you'll succumb to it. So those those dudes that were were not quite performers on on uh, land could make up for it in the water, and. So what I did is um, I broke myself down from square one and improved my efficiency. The first drill I did even, this goes back to how much I broke myself down, was just I was just learning water dynamics, but just by learning to be buoyant on top of the water where I would swim across the pool for probably three, 400 yards of just learning to keep my hips near the surface and lay in my lungs. Um, and then from there I'd add strokes and it was a system called total immersion. Um, people that learn to swim, that's an excellent system to, to reconstruct yourself with. Would you say, uh, well, obviously you're biased, but like as a, you know, former CrossFit coach and gym owner and, um, you know, now going into physical therapy school and stuff, like, do you think swimming is an essential part of fitness? Um, cause I think it's a lot of people's like, you know, black sheep. Like they neglect it or, yeah. just, you know, they're afraid of the water or they don't spend time in it. I would think, I would think so. I mean, just look how much water is on the earth. If you're going to avoid the water, then you, that's a humongous part of the earth that you're going to avoid. So I would say so that it's essential as anything, unless you just plan on never hitting the water ever, then um, you might as well learn to get comfortable in it. And then the added benefit of, of uh, learning to be comfortable in the water is learning to be comfortable anywhere. Because if you put yourself out of your element into that, that kind of almost like alien environment and you can still stay calm, that's going to be transferable over to any other thing that you do. For sure. So I totally even, agree with it's that. just the mental aspect of being good in the water. And that is also, the, it's a great magnifier to how to, how to improve efficiency of, of how you move too. So I think that that that's a teachable moment too, to just how crucial it is to be efficient in all movements. Going back to your uh, your spearfishing and free diving days, how long had you worked up to? How long could you stay underwater with holding your breath? Um, when I in my glory days, I could probably uh, 
if I I would probably hold my breath for about underwater. Now the thing is with that, and all there's so many variables to consider when you do this. Like if it was a good day and I felt rested and there's no surprises, <laughs> then um, I could put I could hold my breath for about five five minutes thirty seconds. But that depends on how deep I go. Actually, when you go down deeper, you have a likelihood of holding your breath for longer. But then you also have to consider you have to come up too. Yeah. So you don't want to fall into that trap. There's lots of uh, lots of free divers out there that have died from shallow water blackouts because it comes up on you out of nowhere. Um, you're completely surprised by it. you'll feel fine, and then all of a sudden you're passed out. And probably that's that's uh, by the skin of my teeth. I've survived a few incidents that I shouldn't have survived because I've passed out, and all of a sudden I've I was. What I was doing, I was getting too hungry for. I was seeing fish as dollar signs, so I, I was uh, down there for far too long and just um, staying down there more than I should. And then on the way up, I'd had I'd have some type of malfunction with my reel or something, and I would it wouldn't free spool out because I have a reel on my gun um, that would supposed to free spool out, and I'd be tugging this fish up, and it's free spooling, and all of a sudden there's a knot in it, and then I'm tugging up a whatever forty kilo fish. Wow. And I'm 50 feet away from the surface, and the tunnel starts closing in. And then all of a sudden, I fade to black, and most of the time, that's a death sentence. But um, somehow, I woke up on the top. Uh, this happened probably two or three times. Which, Jeez. <laughs> which, you're, you're uh, getting big fish out there, 40 kilos. That's that's not a small fish. Yeah, that's a, yeah. I, there are some pretty big fish I've gotten. I mean, I've got up to the biggest, about the biggest fish I've gotten. It was about it was about two hundred something pounds. Holy shit! That was a dog tooth tuna. Funny Dude, enough, yeah. you don't get all that much money for a dog tooth tuna, but your your eyes get wide for the trophy rather than the uh, the money. Sometimes, whenever you're down there. So when you're spearfishing these things, are when you hit them, are they dying instantly? Because I'm thinking like, oh you're no, hitting, no, you. I'm only, hitting your. I'm thinking you're hitting a two hundred pounder goal for a ride. Lucky, do they die? It's called a stone shot. And if you're really lucky, and you well, lucky will some. Call it skill, but if you're really lucky, you'll stone it. It'll hit the spine or, or the brain, and then it'll just tremor for a second. Then it's yours, and that yeah, that's a golden shot. It's a money shot. But most of the time, they're and hopefully you hit it in a, a good chunk of the spot where it's not going to rip out. You have mm-hmm. what's called a Tahitian flipper that flopper sorry, that flops out and keeps it on the spear. Most of the time, they're going to be tugging your spear along, and then uh, what you're trying to do is is fight it in a way that's not going to completely rip off. Um, a lot of times, my gun floats while my spear doesn't. So once I shoot, once I would shoot the, the spear, the spear would say attached to it, my gun would go up to the surface, and I would a lot of times just abandon the gun and go shoot, toward, depending on how big the fish was. I would go shoot towards the fish to try and grab a hold of it before it ripped itself out. Wow. Um, and then once you have control of it, then I would, you can just take it up to the surface by its gills. And then you can, you have a, a knife on you that you can plug it right in the, the brain. and then it dies. <laughs> Plug it. <laughs> I'm just so, picturing you going for a ride to the ocean with a, a 200 pound tuna. Yeah, that's actually, that's the one, the one that, that 200 pound tuna, my friend had a GoPro and, um, he, I, he saw, I had a reel. You're not usually supposed to shoot fish that big with a reel. You're supposed to use a, what they have floats where your spear detaches from. And then once your spear detaches, it's connected to these floats on the top. 
And you hook them? Um, and you go up to the floats, and then you just kind of ride along in the floats, and you oh, wait okay. for the fish to tire out because they can expend a whole, a whole heap load of energy, and they're really powerful, but then once they tire out, then you can start gently pulling it in. So I foolishly shot this 200-pound fish with a reel because I, I was <laughs> young and hungry. Um, and it took me along for like a 100-meter ride until it finally holed up in a cave. Wow. <laughs> and he had the whole thing shot on GoPro as I'm, I'm getting just drug along with, with no defenses on, on, I had no, it was it, those talk to tuna are just God awful powerful. So I, I, the only thing I could do was, and I was pretty much hold on to my gun cause I, it's a thousand dollar gun and I don't want to lose hold of it, my baby. <laughs> um, but yeah, once it holds up, then I would go down there with my dive knife and, and, uh, finish the job. Wow couple chapters in your life huh and now i mean you had this this you know box in hawaii and then you had this military career and then you had this spear fishing career and now you're in school as a physical therapist yeah yeah little massachusetts like a, a gypsy wandering around doing all sorts of things what's the plan with the physical therapy um are you gonna you know you're gonna go into practice and trying to maybe stick it stick around new england or is there a next chapter for levi well i'm not uh i don't have i'm not rooted anywhere really i don't i wouldn't mind where i went so i could i could let the wind blow me where it may but no with the, as far as what i want to do with it i i've been long obsessed with improving human performance so i would like to take that physical therapy and ideally work with athletes to improve how they can perform and, and improve how they recover and how they heal themselves up from injuries. So are you going to be Dr. Levi in a couple of years? Well, yeah, some people are chagrined at calling it a physical therapist, a doctor, but, um, <laughs> they are, I mean, they, because they're not, they're tech, they don't go to medical school or anything, but yeah, it's a doctor to physical therapy. So I guess I can get away with that. Sweet. Game on. So, so Dr. Levi, <laughs> I'm going to demand everyone call me that. <laughs> Just start wearing a white lab coat around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, dude. Um, you got anything for us that you're curious about? or? Um, yeah. <laughs> Put me on the spot there. Yeah, what do you guys um, – How how's your, your, your gym? How's, how's the competitive element over there? I'd say it's pretty good. I mean, we, we both uh, work at separate gyms, but they're under the same umbrella. Right. Um, kind of all the same community, though, which is which is really cool and I think kind of a, a novel thing in the CrossFit world. Yeah. You know, all under the same banner. Um, but it's it's good. It's like a good mix of, you know, like an even spread community where everybody's integrated, but then you have your, like, super, you know, competitive CrossFit style athletes yeah, yeah. Um, but they're phased into class too so it's it's a nice mix where it's not like um you know that separatism that you can find sometimes in right that elitism where the, the competitors are a little bit more elevated or entitled sometimes yeah and i think that's really what what separates our boxes from others is is that togetherness even though we may have some more competitive and, and less competitive people everyone's working yeah, out yeah. Yeah. And pays there that's invaluable for yeah for sure it's been big too in this past like week or so with this, 
you know, COVID um, situation where the online engagement like that, that we're getting from, from all the members has been like, so eye-opening to how, you know, integrated everybody is with each other. Yeah. It's amazing. Are people um, starting to come together and maybe like in smaller splinter groups there working out or? Yeah. Yeah. They've seen a little bit of that. A little bit of that happening. And then uh, just like daily check-ins with each other. Like um, we're still posting a couple wads every day. So, you know, people putting up videos of themselves doing it and their scores and um, sharing that with the group. So it's been cool to see uh, this time of adversity, like, you know, spark something. Yeah. Not that it wasn't there before, but it's really like a little bit. Oh, yeah. Then it just kind of, yeah, emphasizes it a little more. Right. Yeah, times like these really, really show what type of community you truly have. And uh, I think everyone has really stepped up as leaders here, and uh, they're really making sure we get through this together. It's yeah. Really, really great to see. Our last two episodes we put out, funny enough, were, um, uh, well, the, the most recent one was about, like, working out on your own or, like, um, you know, getting used to the the mindset of working out outside of a gym and outside of a class community. And yeah. I know that, that's something, like, you've had a lot of experience with your you know, mostly a lone wolf when it comes to your training, which you're back into like full bore now. Um, so that's something you could touch on if you'd like. With putting yourself out of your comfort zone then? Uh, more so like being alone, being able to train alone and stay intrinsically motivated, especially like through like today you had that super hard Metcon. And although I was like, you know, there watching, you were still going at it alone and you do that regularly. So um, I don't know, maybe any piece of, of advice or tidbits of, you know, these people are used to working in this crowd and working in groups and having a coach. And now they're in a situation where they just have to push on their own. So, yeah. Well, I think, um, what you have to keep in mind is, um, is just, what are you doing it for? Um, when you're over, you're over there grinding away by yourself, that's an opportunity to go deeper inside yourself as, as far as what motivates you is you. So the people that are going to thrive off of that, off that self-motivation are the ones that, well, in the long run, they're not going to be crippled by needing an environment, which an environment is great when you can. Uh, and that all, all, all power to that. But you should also have kind of somewhat like a, of a stoicism there of being able to grind away, regardless of whether there's a, a big motivating crowd or even a coach, which is very, I mean, it's invaluable, but the skill of being able to go inside your own like suffering and still be able to grind on despite none of those conveniences is, uh, is a very, very essential skill to have. Yeah. Yeah. That's completely I've, I've long great. had, a, um, I've long had a value of, of what I say is salvation through suffering. Mm. So you'll get you'll 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 reap those rewards whenever you can fall into that suffering and then that's when you'll ultimately gain that salvation at the end of each workout there's not a day no matter how hard it is no matter how grueling it is there has not been one day where i've regretted that as much suffering as it was at the end of it there might be some dread before it but once once it's over with then i'm i'm completely stoked with myself on getting through it and i'm i come there like i'm high on drugs after i leave yeah, that's completely congruent with what we had pretty much like almost verbatim. You know, some of the points we're trying to bring up to the members is, um, you know, it's like such a good opportunity for that self-reflectiveness reflect- that, 
maybe you, there's too much noise normally in that class setting or um, yeah. you, know, you don't have that time to step inside yourself. Um, but when you're alone, it's like there's nothing else really to focus on except like your movement. Right. And even in the, it, when we talk about the constantly varied, perhaps the environment should be constantly varied too. So this is not a, necessarily a bad thing. It's like even somewhat like if you're, if your crutch is having to have your type of music on or whatever, you're this certain, certain variable that has to be in your equation, maybe kind of just, just taking that crutch away, training without music every once in a while, just listening to silence, listening to birds chatter away rather than, uh, having to have the motivation of whatever perfect scenario you've created for yourself and then taking it away could probably be valuable for most people in there. Right. That'd be an interesting social experiment at like, like a CrossFit Games event where everybody's goes at it alone on separate yeah. ends of the arena. You're right. Yeah. It's just like complete <laughs> silence there. You have like the worst noise. You get like babies screaming or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, we had a uh, we had a workout at our gym a, about a month ago. We had they were working on the electrical line, so we didn't have any power. Yeah, uh, so we were working out midday, no no music, no lights or anything, and it was a little weird to like hear other people yeah. breathing while they're working out. But it was a nice change of pace. Not something we want to do every day. Right, but, uh, it's not, yeah, definitely a time you can tap into yourself all the time. But I, sometimes, the whenever at our gym, the music would go out, we'd have technical difficulties, and then I would remind them like, what happens if whatever some some of catastrophe happens where let's say a bus overturns and you have to go in and save a bunch of children. Are you going to be like, no, I can't save these children because my favorite music isn't playing. (laughs) You'd have to do it without your favorite music. And and if we're training, if we're using this to train for life, if we're trying to be prepared for life, then we should be prepared in the mental and the physical aspects of it. Absolutely. That was another big selling point uh, of our conversation on uh, Wednesday was, um, like you're, you're so much more prepared for this situation we find ourselves in right now than you think you are because you're, yeah. you're you know, choosing to, to overcome adversity or to face adversity every single day. And if you're just looking at the, the CrossFit box as like a place to go and socialize and get fit, I understand that. And I get that's why a lot of people keep coming back, but the underlying, um, foundation to that is like, you're, you're becoming a more competent human being yeah and i i think that there's levels to that too maybe at, when you're first starting out that 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 community is absolutely vital to keep you coming but the more comfortable you get in it then then it perhaps you could start to stray away from having to have those people to where you you could be able to uh potentially just do it by yourself without without that those variables of community and everyone else and a motivating coach at times you should be able to go in there and grind away with complete silence and nobody around. Um, and then that's how you know that you've stepped up. It's kind of like black, like belts and, and martial arts. I mean, white belts are going to be expected to the same degree as a black belt, but if you're, you're if you're the more you time you spend there, the, the more you trying to up your game and get to that level. All right. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it, given, you know, we've all involuntarily been put in a situation where we're like, we're going to be training alone. Um, We don't know how long. And it's a, you know, take it as an opportunity because it's going to make you an athlete. And we obviously want you to come back into the box when we're available. 
Don't yeah, we, you know, ask there, 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 like along, uh, along that same vein, though, like if you are trying to learn martial arts, you're not going to do it very well without a trained instructor to teach you the the movements. And that, right. I think that's just as important. You're not going to learn jujitsu by watching YouTube videos. Uh, you're not going to learn Olympic lifting, which is a sport itself, which has just as much variability and just as much things going on with it as, as jiu-jitsu or, or whatever Muay Thai. You're going to need a coach there to tell you how to do it right, and you're going to learn a thousand times better and be a thousand times less hurt um, by doing it with a coach. But when you don't have it, then you should be able to work around that. Agreed. Have you, uh, have you guys um, at your gym – have you ever touched on any type of, of breathing? I would say the most that I have is um, teaching people proper bracing, um, especially during strength sessions. Like, if you ask anybody who has me in class, that's one of the biggest cues I, I give out is, like, most people will have decent quality of movement, like, say, if they're loading up for a squat. But a lot of missing pieces for a lot of athletes is due to that like brace breath um the valsalva that you know like you just take for granted if you're somebody who's been training for a while um but if you watch somebody squat and they let all the air out before they go down you're like hold on like a slinky yeah Yeah, exactly um but aside from that like intra-abdominal pressure and bracing properly we haven't done a a a handful of you Mm. know breathing exercises outside of that yeah. I have a few clients who work on some nasal breathing techniques, but as a whole, we haven't really taught it as a class, no, besides yeah. the inner abdominal and embracing. Yeah, I think the nasal breathing is really um, is a really good step towards getting, one, maintaining calmness, and two, yeah. kind of adapting the muscles to create more oxygen per breath, too. Yeah, talk about freaking out. You start oh, yeah. doing a 500-meter row with nasal breathing, and right. 50 meters and in, you're losing it. Through a coffee straw there. Yeah. Uh, but also even um, like in freediving, they do what's called breathing tables. I'm not sure if you guys ever heard that. Yeah. Um, but it, there's a one type of breathing table that increases uh, your ability to tolerate a buildup of carbon dioxide. Um, so kind of w- what uh, simply put, it would be, you would do. You would breathe. Uh, you your breath hold would remain the same, and um, you would breathe increasingly less time. So, carbon dioxide is what gives you the desire to breathe. Um, it makes you feel the urgency. So, your ability to tolerate that buildup of carbon dioxide will will make it so that you don't feel so urgently panicked whenever you have a buildup of it. But then there's also a breathing table that allows you for a decrease of O2. Um, and then the breath holds get larger while the, the, uh, while the, um, the, br- the breathe up for the breath holds stay the same. And so then that allows you to be more efficient with each breath on getting your, your body will adapt to that just like any type of training. So some of the stuff I think now if you start and Wim Hof kind of does the same thing and the, the XPT breathing does the same thing. A lot of these people that are maybe stuck at home with twiddling the thumbs, nothing to do, perhaps could benefit from getting into more of the breathing methods of, of their body, adapting to O2 and CO2 
um, and getting into diaphragmatic breathing too. Because if I've seen so many athletes come and go where they just they like the the skill of diaphragmatic breathing has long been lost. Um, but that is how we are meant to breathe is through our diaphragm. And is, it, is that through deeper breathing as opposed to more shallow breathing? Yeah, well, it's breathing into the belly rather so than the lungs. Okay. So, like, if you look at, uh, if you watch a baby in their crib and you watch the way they breathe, when they breathe, their chest doesn't rise. It's their belly that rises. Okay. And that's how we're meant to breathe at all times. But over the course of life, a lot of times we've lost that ability. And one, you get more oxygen per breath through diaphragmatic breathing. Two, it maintains a sense of calm. Um, through breathing through the belly and you won't start getting winded as quickly with you could breathe through the diaphragm. Uh, but it takes some, once you've lost that skill, it takes some, a little bit of work to get it back. But I mean, this is probably a perfect opportunity to seize on to start regaining that for those, for a lot of those athletes that are probably lost. I'd say 80% of the people that I've, I've come across don't diaphragmatic breathe. Um, but it wouldn't take that much. I mean, there's so, so many resources out there as far as learning how to, to do it again that it would, it would be a, a good time right now to learn that. It's funny. I came across uh, that method like in a roundabout way, not even through athletics, but um, as a musician, like trying to learn how to properly sing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Musicians use it's it all, all breath work, right? Yeah. Especially if you're doing it like, you know, playing guitar while you're trying to sing and you're trying – and you're trying to like get that, um, you know, just like natural breath where you're where you're going to constantly have an airflow that you can use to sing with. A lot of the stuff was just like diaphragmatic breath yep. work, and even like certain vocal tones, um, you know, arise from like being able to they they use it as a term like sing diaphragmatically or yeah. sing from your chest or sing from your throat or sing from your head voice. Like there's these different levels to it, and for when I, when I first started singing, like I was always so nervous cause I was, I was a guitar player. I wasn't a singer, but I wanted to learn. Um, but I was just nervous. So I was always, you know, my energy was up here and I was. Yeah. Breathing, shallow breathing. And then I worked shallow breathing. Work. And then I would, my, my pitch would go up and I'd be singing yeah. high pitch higher than I should be, you know? And then, um, slowly starting to like learn. All right. I just need to breathe into my belly while I'm singing. Like, like without thinking about it, being able to sing and the air is going through my nose into my diaphragm and having that cycled breath, like subconsciously, um, and just practicing, 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 um, that carried over into my athletic career. Like I, I realized I was doing that when I was playing football and like, I'd be in the huddle and I'd be like, Oh, I'm doing the thing. Like I'm in my belly. I'm, I'm not even thinking about it. I'm through my nose in my belly. And then, you know, going into CrossFit, I think that was a big part of my, um, you know, early on, like success, because I had never really done much of that. Um, but just having the ability to breathe, yeah, grounded yeah. manner, is yeah, that is an absolute game changer. You, if you take an athlete that is far more conditioned, uh, far stronger, far superior in every way athletically, but you take them and you match them against someone that can breathe better, that athlete that can breathe better is likely to dominate on that athlete that can't breathe so well. I mean, you can. It absolutely change your chemistry with how your breathing is. That's how important it is. And it's something that we do how many thousands of repetitions a day, thousands of repetitions. That is really something that 
everyone on the planet could re- benefit from learning how to do appropriately and tailor to each specific scenario you're trying to do. There's breathing for calming yourself down. There's breathing for improving capacity. There's and breathing for all sorts of different scenarios that you can look that I mean different techniques for, for different things you're trying to accomplish. Um, I come from the, the behavioral health field before I was a CrossFit coach and um, we would take somebody who's going through like an anxiety or, or a mental break and have them do square breathing. So breathing yeah, in for yeah. four seconds, holding for four seconds, yeah. breathing out for four seconds. And you'd, you'd be amazed at how much it could bring someone's blood pressure down, their, oh, just yeah. their anxiety down in general too. It was really amazing. Right. And as far as right now too, speaking of which, um, if we talk specifically about the Wim Hof method, that's supposed to have a very powerful influence on the immune system. For sure. So, mm. so people that are uh, worried about all the chaos happening around us, we're the dumpster fire of a world we live in right now. Mm. Um, they could they could have some real. They could maybe gain some confidence that they're not. The world isn't going to end tomorrow if they fix their breathing, and control their um, immune system. There. Right, grounds as your energy as, too. You know. What's that? It grounds your energy, like takes you out of your head. Yeah. 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 I know that when I first started it, that when I first started the Wim Hof breathing, I did breathing tables far longer than I did Wim Hof. Um, but when I first started it, this just this amazing sense of calm that would wash over you as soon as you like. I go into a breath hold, so you breathe up. What for for the listeners out there that don't quite know what it entails is you do 30 to 40 deep diaphragmatic breaths. You breathe all the way in, and then you let it out like a balloon. You don't have to exhale all the way. It's maybe like 80% to a natural respiratory pause. After 30 to 40 breaths, you'll start feeling really tingly. You'll start feeling really lightheaded. This is a good thing. Don't worry. Um, People could perhaps describe it as being high, um, but in a good way. And then you'll let it all out and you'll hold your breath on an exhale after that 30 to 40 breaths then you'll you'll blow your own mind for how long you could hold it without even feeling a desire to breathe um and then after a minute and a half two minutes perhaps more three minutes four minutes whatever it is whenever you feel the urge to breathe then you take a deep breath in you hold it for 10 15 seconds and then you repeat that cycle for three or four times. But after each one, once you go over to that breath hold, it's all those worries and all of this anxiety and whatever has plagued you for the day seems to just melt away. And you come out of there. You might go in there with some anxiety, but you come out of there just transformed without all that, all that nonsense that seems to uh, noisily annoy us for, the, um, for, the, for most of the day. And that can, that can kind of set the slate clean. Um, after you do those yeah that's like the missing ingredient for you know people who are looking to meditate and calm their mind like if you're not incorporating breath work yeah you're only getting 10 percent of the picture i almost like yoga practice code for meditation yeah i think it's cool to hear that you don't need to sit in a dark room and and cross your legs and yeah and go home to meditate. You can just focus on your breathing and really right. center yourself. The breathing yourself. itself is meditate. Like yeah. if, as long as you're paying attention to how you breathe, that's if you do that for ten minutes a day, then uh, that goes. That is meditation right there. Just focusing on where the breath is going. It brings you directly into 
the momentary experience i feel like yeah like there's nothing for me personally that can make me feel more present than just like notice my breath and then like just focus on that because then there's no other space yep. for, for other things you know that sick cyclical nature and just like making sure it's going down deep um like, just, hang, like hang where it's going and where you f- feel the breath at yeah all that stuff just kind of directs your attention towards um towards just the breath which is doesn't allow any room for any of the other noise to come barreling into your head i feel like when you made that analogy between like uh, you know the belt system of martial arts and crossfitters like as i put so much more time into it i'm sure this is you know synonymous across the board and for you guys who spent a lot of time in crossfit is like at certain points in workouts when i'm in that flow state i will only be i won't even be thinking about performing the movement because i'm just like hardwired to do it and i'll only be focusing on like that cycle of breath yeah exactly it makes it makes like a i don't know like a murph go by like that right because i'm just breathing i'm just breathing i'm just breathing i'm just breathing and next thing i know i did 200 push-ups with a vest on i think that's kind of how you could tell that you're advancing as an athlete too because even at the threshold of exhaustion you're able to maintain virtuosity of the movement that you know that you're you're starting to do pretty good there because it doesn't matter how tired you are the your basic mechanics can stay stay pretty solid across the board and that that's, that's a indicator that you can increase intensity too right levels yeah levels <laughs> always like levels uh, where are we at we're almost over an hour here we're approaching an hour yeah we're at fifty six minutes this has been awesome. Hell yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That's a long one, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all good stuff, though. I think it's very valuable uh, information, especially right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of tidbits to take from this conversation for our listeners. And um, even if they're just listening f- for entertainment purposes, I think it'll be a good one. But um, there's definitely some things to go back and think about um, as you go through um, the line here for the next couple weeks. Right. Uh, but we want to say thank you to Levi and, and hopefully get you back on here at some point. And yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Yeah, definitely. We'll do it again sometime. I hope so. All right. We'll, we'll catch you next time. All right, guys. Athletics <laughs> listeners. All right. All right. See you guys. Later.